Five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from Los Angeles, California, US, is Hiral Patel. Hiral is a patient advocate and published author. Her purpose is to be a resource for others seeking credible solace and daring to thrive in their new circumstances. Her vision is to raise awareness and spirits of people facing adversity by offering a comprehensive approach to well-being through her platform, Antidote Health. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Hirol? Good, how are you? I am good. I'm really good. I'm excited to interview you today. As everyone knows, I love doing Kidney Warrior Story interviews because I really do believe that hearing someone's lived experience is very, very powerful and can be very life-changing for people as well. So, I'm really excited to hear what you have to share today. So thank you for joining me. So my first question is, how did your kidney warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed? Great question. Uh, So it began at the age of 15. Actually, I was in high school um, in 10th grade. And obviously here in the States, we go up to 12th grade and um, 10th grade between 10th and 11th, it was summer. And I had just joined the tennis team. Um, I was active tennis player, basketball player when I was younger. So I had gone to the hospital to have a physical done. And essentially within that 10, 15 minutes of doing, um, checking my blood pressure and then checking my labs, essentially they found out that my blood pressure was extremely high. Um, And that's kind of odd, right? For a 15 year old, because I'm so young, they had no expectation um, that it would be extremely high. So essentially, within that day is when they recognize that there's possibly something wrong with my kidneys. But um, they couldn't tell me anything specifically, because since I was a teenager, under pediatrics, my doctor didn't have that specialty. So she pretty much told me, Hey, I have a friend who's a nephrologist and I like for you to see her next week. And I'm like, okay, what does nephrology mean? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You know, yeah. um, but she's like, yeah, I have a friend, um, you know, go meet her next week. And then like, she'll, she'll kind of explain this to you. So essentially meeting her friend, the nephrologist, I recognize nephrology means kidneys. Um, they specialize in kidneys and she pretty much recognized that based on my labs, my function looked extremely low. So she suggested a biopsy. So I would say within a week, I went from 
average teenage life to diagnosed with kidney disease. And pretty much that's how my summer began. And that was right before I turned the age of 16. Wow. So that's, that must've been a lot to take in. I mean, in one week, like you said, you went from happy-go-lucky average teenager doing your sports and enjoying life to having a diagnosis of kidney disease. So how did you feel at that time? Like what was going through your mind? Yeah. So I honestly didn't know what to think or how to feel because I, I didn't know what to do at that point. At that point of being diagnosed with kidney disease, I was at, I think, 20% kidney function, which is extremely wow. low. Very low. Uh, so at that point, it was like everyone was on autopilot. They're telling me like, hey, you should get on your medications. We're going to give you a strict um, diet regimen, medication regimen continue on that. And then we'll talk about forward, like moving forward, what we want to do. And that was essentially, let's put you on the list as quickly as possible to get a transplant. But in the meantime, let's just keep track of what your function looks like. So essentially being diagnosed within a week and with my percentage being so low, I didn't really have much time to process, to be honest. Um, It was like, this is what you need to do. This is just the lifestyle you need to live. And you just have to accept it kind of thing. Um, So I had difficulty really understanding my diagnosis and what that meant for my lifestyle for quite some time. I kind of just embodied and took it on, but I didn't really deal with the emotions behind it and acknowledge that like, this is a lifelong condition. This is a lifelong uh, commitment to my health. And being a teenager, you don't take things that seriously, right? So (laughs) going from seeing, you know, how I was living before and then talking to people about, okay, hey, I have to take these things seriously. Like this could be life or death for me. I don't really know what's going to happen moving forward. But like, these are the only options I have right now, which is taking my medication and being on a strict diet. So I had my mom, you know, support me physically, I would say where she was taking me to my appointments and she was like cooking the right meals for me and stuff. But I felt like emotionally, I didn't really feel anything. I was pretty much numb and I didn't really open that part of myself until I would say much later, actually, when I attended college. So that was quite a a long time then before you dealt with the emotional impact of your diagnosis. Yeah. So in, in terms of, you know, up until that point, what impact did, you know, as a young person did having kidney disease have on your everyday life? So for me, it was um, interesting because being at 20% and this was the summer before I started 11th grade, I thought, hey, I would just go back to school, life would just happen, things would be back to normal. But I realized where I was at with my, my health. And essentially that meant I was very fatigued. I barely had any, any energy. I didn't care to socialize. I became recluse. So I recognized that I went from this happy go lucky state, enjoying my life, you know, spending time with friends, being social to isolated, depressed, a very anxious, um, very low energy that I felt myself kind of drifting away. And with that, I recognize that being back in a school setting, you know, I thought that that could kind of bring out more of my personality being back in school. 
but being back in school almost felt draining because I was seeing other people and how they were living their lives. And then I was seeing how my new lifestyle was. And I was constantly comparing, thinking, you know, I want to be like them. I want to do things like them. But for me, I recognized where I was, you know, mentally and physically that I couldn't be like everybody else around me. So I think seeing that kind of gave me, you know, a deeper depression almost uh, because I recognize in those moments that I was different, um, that I wasn't like them and that going into those settings, I pretty much had to share with them of what my new life was, of what limitations I felt I had. And I wasn't sure if I would feel accepted, but I realized being in that setting that um, I wanted to prioritize my health. And that meant being homeschooled for me because that kind of gave me the flexibility with my appointments and with my energy levels that I could kind of, you know, create my own day based around my health versus being in school from 7.30 a.m. to like 3 p.m. and just grinding it out every single day that uh, that kind of environment was no longer fitting for me. So it was a bit shocking, <laughs> you can say. Yeah, that's a, a major change to your everyday life. So how was homeschool compared to regular school I mean I don't know how how to phrase that but yeah what what difference did that make to your mental well-being being homeschooled so it's um it was something that I had honestly never considered before and then realizing the condition that I had and the state I was in that homeschool was probably the best fit for me and I came to that conclusion because I recognized how flexible it was and I could still engage with my friends and still hang out with them, but I didn't have to participate in school on the same level as them. Meaning I would just go into um, the institution and then go take a test whenever I completed my course. But essentially they would give me the book, they would give me the, the homework and I would pretty much do it on my own, on my own timing. So based on how quickly I finished that, that work is when I would take the exam to see if I tested well, to see if I really retained the information from the different subjects I was learning. So I pretty much taught myself, but it was at my own pace. So I could take, you know, two weeks to finish, um, you know, a course, or I could take a month to finish a course versus being in a typical regular school where, you know, you go by semesters almost and, you know, you kind of, you know, take those three months to really learn a subject versus like, hey, I can sit down and learn a subject within two weeks. So I feel like being in a regular school, things kind of get stretched out and you kind of learn in small snippets. But in homeschool, you really immerse yourself in that course because you're only doing one or two courses at a time. So you're really um, immersing yourself in that information and retaining it. And then you're kind of going by course by course basis based on, you know, how well you're retaining the information and if you're testing out of that course. So it, I think honestly, it's great. (laughs) And it's a lot, it's a lot better because I feel like you kind of waste time being in a regular school. It's more of like socializing, you have your lunch, you know, you have like your break times and stuff. In homeschool, you kind of just, have all of that, but then you can spend those two, three hours a day 
or, you know, two or three times a week if you want, and then you'll test out of a course. You know, you learn that information, you test out really quickly. So for me, it worked out better because essentially what had ended up happening was I finished high school sooner than my classmates did um, at a regular school, just because I was able to take the classes and um, do it a lot more quicker than having to wait out those three or four months till in finish a course and then move on to the next part of it. Um, so I did finish high school sooner. So then I was able to start taking some college classes and kind of getting an idea of what college would be like and like what you know, subjects I was interested in. But um, it did kind of push me away from the typical things that would happen in high school, like going to your prom and going to like the, the more formal events. And so those are the things that like you talk about as a teenager, right? Like, oh, these are the things I look forward to as a senior in high school. Like, you know, these are the milestones for us. And you talk about it and you're waiting to experience it. But um, the place I was at with my health and then starting homeschooling, I wasn't able to participate in those things. So essentially I missed out on all those big milestones or what you want to call it. But um, I recognize now that like, Obviously, everything happened for a reason, but I was really stuck on the fact that I didn't have some of the experiences that my friends had. Wow. I mean, there's a lot there to unpack. So for you, homeschool worked out really well in terms of being able to manage your education. But as you said, the flip side of that was missing out on certain milestones that you have. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm old school. Like when I left school a million years ago, you got your you got your certificates and your folder and that was it you go home we didn't have prom we didn't have no anything. no wow. nothing. oh my gosh so maybe it's like a very american thing or like thing, right well um the the younger generation now they're having prom so my son's well because of covid there was no prom last year but my son had a prom so yeah there's there's an American influence happening there. So the younger generation do that. But yeah, my, my generation, yeah, nothing. We, okay, we signed so we can shirts and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty wild uh, how we put so much emphasis on certain traditions. But with that emphasis in place, like you and I can relate, right? Because we didn't go to prom and it's totally normal. But like if you're surrounded by people who've kind of all done the same thing and you're you know, the one that hasn't is kind of like, okay, well, did I miss out? Like, am I not connecting with them on this? You know, and it, it kind of leaves you a little isolated, at least like being in that age. Now that I'm older, I'm like, okay, it was just another dance. You know, there's plenty of other dances to go to. Right. But uh, being at that age group at that time, it was just like, oh, wow. You know, what am I missing out on? Like, should I have been a part of that? But um essentially I couldn't because of the fact that I wasn't a part of that school. So you managed in your own way to be at peace with the fact that you didn't go to your, well, the prom that your peers went to. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and we did have conversations around it. And now I realize being older that, um, you know, it is difficult, especially if you haven't dealt with your condition and you haven't really acknowledged the fact that like, this is a lifestyle um, with having kidney disease and managing your health, that uh, you're constantly battling between wanting to be that person that you were before 
and connecting with those people that still live that way. And then the new lifestyle of, okay, well, I have to be a little more cautious about X, Y, and Z. I get to take care of my, or prioritize, you know, taking my medications and being on a stricter diet or um, being mindful of exercise and things like that, that like, you have to be a little more, uh, you know, regimented or have more structure than like a typical teenager would. So I kind of say this in my book, but like, when you go to from having freedom, and like, I, I, I make this, uh, this quote, or I say this one line where it's like, young, wild and free. That's what people think of like youngsters, right? Yes, uh, <laughs> and I, I think of myself as like young, limited and like, cautious or like paranoid. So that's how I would do okay. the comparison. <laughs> um, yeah, I felt like there wasn't so much freedom, right? Like I had to be a little more mindful and like watch my every single step versus like when you're a teenager, you kind of just do whatever you want, right? Like you don't feel like there's any, you know, repercussions, uh, any fallback. Yeah. So was there a part of you that resented, um, you know, the restrictions that you faced as a young person? Yeah, so I had a... I had difficulty with that. And I would say that's where um, I recognized that maybe I needed some emotional support because I recognized when I first got diagnosed, I kind of went into autopilot, but then I went into that phase of getting angry and then asking why me. And I would put a lot of emphasis on why me because I was in that state of constantly comparing myself. I hadn't actually coped with the fact that I have kidney disease. So I was in a state of comparing myself, almost feeling like, well, if I do what these other people are doing, then like, I can pretty much live like them and just ignore the fact that I have kidney disease. But I have to recognize that I have kidney disease, because if I don't, then I'm essentially throwing my health in the trash, in the waste bin, and then pretty much leading up to the universe to see, hey, will I come out of this? Will I have any option to survive? And so it was very difficult because I, I was constantly going back and forth and having the resistance of accepting kidney disease, but then also trying to live by it like everybody else. So I, I recognize that in a lot of different ways. And I think what made it more difficult was the fact that with my culture being Indian and that having that background, I was essentially the only person in my family that had kidney disease. Um, no one in my family has it. It's not genetic. Um, so the doctors, even to this point, don't really know how I got the, the condition, but they say either it was a genetic mutation that it was caused by an infection. And um, a year prior to getting diagnosed, I had really bad migraines and migraines can kind of be a sign that there's something wrong with your kidneys, especially with having high blood pressure and things like that. But we didn't recognize that the doctor kind of just gave me ibuprofen and was like, take medication, you know, you're good. And I was like, Hey, ibuprofen is actually not good for your kidneys, but, um, so that was a year prior. So I had started getting the symptoms, right. And, but like no one recognized it. And then essentially when I got diagnosed, the, the storyline pretty much, or some people extended family storyline around my diagnosis was like, oh, like, was she involved in drugs or like, was she like partying? And she's like really young that like she did something. And then that essentially caused kidney disease. But that yeah. was them being very judgmental, right? And them kind of very judgmental, right? I'm like, hey, I know you like we're related. How are you doing this to me? 
And I was a teenager. And for me, you know, being here in the States and my family, some family talking about it. And these are like second, third cousins, right? Like people that are not like directly, um, you know, close to me, but people in India and saying that and kind of gossiping around it where I was like, Hey, my family, you know, is judging me, you know? So like, I can only imagine who else is judging me, right? Like strangers, friends, it could be anybody. Uh, so I, I think in those moments I felt very isolated because I was like, this is a time where I'm going through something difficult and I would appreciate people rallying around me and supporting me. But it was almost like, well, she's young, so we can't accept this for what it is. So like, there has to be another backstory behind it. And it took many years for them to like come out of that story and recognize like this had nothing to do with drinking or drugs. I wasn't involved in that. You know, I was 15 years old. It happened to be that like, you know, there were symptoms leading up to this diagnosis. They just weren't caught, you know, ahead of time. And then essentially now we know, you know, what diagnosis I have and stuff. But with that being said, you know, with Indian culture, it's very, it was very conservative before, like when I got diagnosed, it's a lot more modern now, but the focus is marriage. Like, you know, who, who you're going to get married to, uh, you know, who are, who's this person? Like, what is their background? And a lot of it's based on like your health, you know, what you've studied. Um, there's like this whole criteria, right. Of like how you match with people, especially if it's arranged. Um, and so one of the big conversations was like, okay, what does the trajectory of my life look like? You know, am I going to be able to find, yeah. Am I going to be able to find a partner? Will I be able to have kids? And I'm like, Hey, I'm 16 years old. Like, we don't need to have this conversation. What if we just have the conversation of like, hey, let's see how we can support you in your health. Like, make sure yes. there's longevity, right? With your trans, with your uh, kidney function or, and eventually transplant. But um, the focus was, okay, will we be the ones taking care of you? Or will there be support in the future of like someone taking care of you? Or are you having a partner? And I'm like, I can't, essentially get kind of pushed into a category of, Hey, you have some sort of disability. You have some sort of underlying condition that like, that's essentially what's going to lead the trajectory of your life. Right. Like what kind of partner you find and what kind of career you have and like essentially what you become. Right. Um, and so that's pretty much what impacted me for like the next 10 years after diagnosis was proving people wrong <laughs> Um, proving family wrong and pretty much leading a life talking about, Hey, will you think limited of me in these ways? So I'm going to try to push myself and kind of push that label off of me. And that kind of led down a very, you know, resistant path, but I couldn't accept, you know, the labels people were giving me. Wow. I mean, that is just, incredible like to put such a massive responsibility on someone so young who was already facing a serious diagnosis a life-changing diagnosis and then to blame you essentially for what yeah. was what had happened to you I, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been to come to terms with all that and then have other people's expectations on top of that um wow that is just that is incredible 
but you know it really shows that you know I use the term kidney warrior and I, I use that term deliberately because it does take a really strong person to like push through and overcome having this disease and to hear you know what you've been through and you're so resilient so strong and it's I, my, my hat come you know totally off to you you've done incredibly well to to come through such really tough circumstances and if you don't mind me asking you um this question you know for for someone from your culture as well that might be facing similar circumstances what advice what would you say to that person you know that young man or young woman that might have similar or the same kind of expectations cultural expectations put on their shoulders what advice would you have for that individual you know I'm glad you asked that question I think that's kind of what's led you know, my advocacy work and just bringing awareness to kidney disease, because for me, being the youngest patient my doctor had at the time when I was first diagnosed and like seeing where we're at now with so many more younger people being diagnosed, that it's, it's, you know, it's scary. And the fact that like kidney disease is becoming one of the bigger known diagnoses in the States, um, uh, especially with, you know, high blood pressure and diabetes leading to that, but culturally, you know, recognizing that yes, times are changing, but the thing is for me, what I learned, and it took me 10 years, right. To get to this place where I feel pretty secure with myself. um, I want to kind of guide people and tell them that, Hey, yes, being a teenager and being diagnosed with kidney disease is not the end of it you get to choose the trajectory of your life. And yes, people may judge you and people may put labels on you, but you get to make a choice. Like, is this something that's going to be a part of you? And this is what's going to define you. Or do you recognize that there's so much more to me that what other people are trying to push on to me are probably mirrors of themselves. And they're just trying to, you know, deflect and put their insecurities on you. But that is not you. Those are not your your insecurities to take on. Those are not your fears and anxieties to take on. And to just recognize that, yes, there's so much more now available to us as patients with people sharing their stories online. You know, there's so many podcasts like yourself, you know, speaking to different patients and just giving different advice and talking about, you know, what they've become, you know, what they've done with, you know, this diagnosis and the life they've created for themselves. That, Kidney disease is a lifestyle. Um, Yes, you do get to be mindful of taking your medication and just, you know, taking care of your health. But there's so much more to your life that kidney disease is just one part of your life, right? Um, You know, you still get to be a a happy person. You still get to enjoy yourself. You still get to create memories and experiences for yourself. You still get to go after your dreams and the things you're passionate about and create that in the world. You still get to, you know, create um, impactful relationships and have impact in people's lives. And you still get to, you know, build the life you want, whether that's a family or not, um, you know, having kids, having a partner, you know, um, getting to experience life for itself to the fullest level, that's still available to you. 
And I don't want people to think that, yes, marriage defines you, having kids defines you, you know, having a certain job defines you. None of those things mean a thing. I think the best thing is really getting to know yourself, really get to know yourself, really feel, you know, confident and comfortable with yourself and just know what matters to you. Because once you get to that point, honestly, if anyone has anything to say, you'll pretty much brush it off. You know, you won't let it (laughs) land, right? Um, and that takes for you to really know yourself to recognize like, yes, the person may try to judge me in this moment, but I recognize that's not me, what they're saying. So just knowing yourself and really having that confidence of who you are, that no matter what type of judgment you face or what type of hurdles or challenges you have, you will know how strong you are and you will know how you overcome it. Um, and that I think is, is essential to anyone who's a patient, um, to have that security and knowing of themselves. That is really good advice. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for asking. That was, yeah, that was great. So how did you get to the point where I think, was there like a, a turning point for you when it came to mentally processing your condition and living with it and thriving within your diagnosis was there a turning point for you yeah so essentially when I started college is when I got into a major depression and that's when everything hit me and that was because of the fact that I at that point I had already received a kidney transplant but I was surrounded by everyone who knew me and my condition but I wasn't around people that were like strangers to me, people that I had to, you know, build rapport with. So being in college, you know, the typical thing, and I don't want to say this is typical, but like people are, you know, partying, going out and all of those things. And I, you know, I wasn't drinking, I wasn't dabbling in any of those things. I wasn't, you know, partying. And so being in college, I was pretty much introduced to that new way of living, (laughs) but I wasn't familiar with it. Right. So it was a bit shocking where I was like, okay, people are inviting me to parties and stuff. I'm going out and then I'm seeing people are drinking and, you know, you know, smoking weed and doing all these things, but, um, I didn't participate in those things. So when people would offer it to me, I would say, Hey, no, thank you. Like I don't drink or I don't do this or that. And they would look at me weird. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Cause like, I feel comfortable and confident saying that I don't do these things, but then people were judging me because the the environment I was in, right. They weren't familiar with people not drinking and not, you know, doing other things. So when I encountered that, that's when I felt very different. And I'm like, okay, this is a new lifestyle I'm living with having a kidney transplant, but like people are still judging me. And I thought like, oh, I would fit in and I would feel like normal. Right. So I'm like, what's going on here? So essentially I recognize I hit a depression because I felt so different. I felt like I had to explain myself to people. And I'm like, I'm not used to this. Like people know me that they've known me for a long time. So I'm like, why do I feel different, you know, talking to strangers, but essentially because I felt like I had to explain myself. And that's when I started therapy and then essentially starting therapy at that point in college, undergraduate school, um, was a continuous process for me throughout the years where I've been, you know, in contact with different therapists on and off different points in my life, dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression. And I was seeing my wheels turning where I was like, okay, 
I, I feel better. I feel better. And I would gain these tools. I was, as I was practicing and seeing a therapist, but I felt like, Hey, I see this huge hump and I haven't, you know, gone over that hump, but I feel it in me where I'm like emotionally falling apart. And I know there's something for me to learn from this. And so from that point till now, I think it's been about three and a half, maybe four years where I was on a path where I recognize like, Hey, I don't feel settled. I don't feel good about where my life is right now because I know um, I'm living a life that's out of alignment. And that might sound a little, you know, weird to say, but um, I didn't feel like the things I was doing were really things that I wanted to do. So I was hanging out with friends. I was going out. I was, uh, you know, having a good time. I was doing things, but I felt like I was doing it because I wanted to fit in. I was doing it because I wanted to feel like everybody else, but not because I actually wanted to do it. And so when I started paying attention to that, that's when I recognized where, you know, I didn't get enjoyment out of going out. I didn't get enjoyment about, you know, around, you know, hanging around in groups of people, you know, I was like, I'm more of a person that wants to connect one-on-one. I'm more of a person that wants to like go to a coffee shop and have a conversation, you know? So I recognize like the things I wasn't really getting enjoyment from or joy from. And I recognize the things that were making me happy and there was a disconnect. So I recognize that at that point I needed to change my lifestyle. And that meant, you know, removing myself from certain social circles that meant, you know, focusing more time on myself and doing the things I enjoyed. And as I started slowly doing that, I started my, you know, I noticed my energy started to shift where I felt happier. I felt more content. Um, I felt, you know, more my, like myself and secure and that path till now, um, just having different conversations and, you know, getting involved in different activities of focusing on my values and focusing on, you know, mindfulness tips and tricks, um, that essentially now where I'm at, I've learned how to thrive and I've learned how to deal with uncertainty and, writing my book was a a part of it, but just purging all the feelings and the emotions I had, I recognize I held on to so much. And that's kind of how I chose to like, use as a driving force for my life. But I realized it was unhealthy. And for me, I didn't want that to be the driving force, I wanted it to be me and my own thoughts and my values of what was driving me and motivating me moving forward. So purging everything of what I experienced, and you know, what was holding me back was like a releasing point. It released me from everything that like I used to define who I was and I pretty much let go of it and forgave myself from that and just like created a clean path. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That is so powerful. Like that is amazing. I think that when you, when you have an illness, you were, you attribute everything to having an illness. So that feeling of wanting to fit in and, you know, do what everybody else is doing is actually universal to every young person. But it's amazing how you put, there, there's that point where everything becomes about the illness and, and actually exactly. it isn't necessarily anything to do with kidney disease. It's every teenager goes through that, that phase. But what you've just described I'm just sitting here and I'm like wow like it was so powerful and and 
getting to the point where you are at peace with you and the things that you like is sometimes it takes people decades to do what you've managed to do in well three years is is a long time but actually on the grand scheme of things it's a very short time there's there's some adults my age plus 40s 50s that haven't reached there yet so I think it's amazing and you know I really am just so blown away by what you've shared it's so powerful and so amazing it really is Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's essentially what I want people to gain is that yes, we do get to recognize what we enjoy, we do get to separate ourselves from things that we don't enjoy. And that just supports us in being aligned with ourselves. And, you know, I I say this all the time, but when you're born, you're a baby, and you're completely pure, but as you get older, the different traumas and anxieties and experiences from other people are essentially what shape us. And so as we get older, what trajectory in life we take and how we make choices is based on other people's choices, essentially. That's how we come up with our own uh, perspective. But it's important for us to recognize that at some point we do get to take a pause and then reflect and say, hey, you know, is this a fear of mine or is this a fear from some of someone else's? You know, is this an anxiety of mine or is this someone else's anxiety? And I think when you start reflecting and start, you know, breaking it down, you'll recognize that a lot of the stuff has nothing to do with you. It's not a part of you. It's not your trauma, right? And um, I realized later in life, but um, I think it's crucial, especially for younger people that, you know, you're at this age and, you know, you can start your personal growth journey at any point in your life. So it's like, it's great if you can start recognizing it now versus, you know, waiting till you're older, because this will definitely support you in living a freer life because the traumas and the anxieties and the fears, we already have that with our health, right? That's already something that we have to deal with. So if we have additional stressors and we have anxiety and fears that then seep into other aspects of our life, then that will stunt our, our potential. Powerful. Very powerful. I can't say that, you know, So rewinding slightly, so you went on to have a kidney transplant. So tell me about how that came about. Yeah, so I was on the kidney transplant list for about three and a half years. I was put on the list right after diagnosis. And it's kind of an interesting story, but three and a half years, um, I got my transplant from UCLA Medical Center. And I had just gotten to that point where (laughs) my doctor kept going, we kept going back and forth. Cause he's like, Hey, you need to come up with your dialysis plan. Like you need to start dialysis. And I was like, I'm going to go on vacation. Let's talk about it when I'm back. Uh, I'm not ready yet. So essentially when I came back, I was like, okay, I'm mentally prepared to start dialysis. And I had chosen PD dialysis. So we had set the, the date for the surgery I got the PD catheter in place, you know, I was just getting ready to heal and then start my training. And within nine days, um, I got the PD catheter. Um, I got a call from UCLA the first time to say, Hey, there's a transplant ready for you. Like, make sure you're down here in like the next, you know, 10 hours. And I'm like, cool, I'll be there like soon, you know, um, I live like down, you know, 30 minutes away. So I can get there really quickly, but they're like, Oh, well, there's actually one person in front of you. So like, we'll call you back and let you know if it's, you know, for you. And I'm like, 
okay, well, I got super excited and now I'm like not so excited anymore. I'm like a little scared. So essentially that transplant didn't go to me, it went to someone before me. Uh, and then I think it was three days that passed and then UCLA called me again. And I was like, this is a joke because like, how many times are you going to call me? You know? And they're like, well, you're first in line, like transplants ready for you, like be here. And I was like, well, we're already prepared. We'll be there in like 30 minutes. So we got our stuff. It was me, my mom and my dad packed our stuff, went straight to the hospital. And it was like, wow, this is happening. But I had no time to process. And I talk about it now and I reflect on it where it was like, they called me and I went and it was like, boom, boom, boom. Everything happened. I literally had no time to process. Like this is step one. This is step two, you know, like this is what's going to happen next. It was like in and out almost. Um, and having the transplant, I, I later learned that it was from a deceased donor. He was actually a 10 year old boy that passed from seizures. And it was really traumatizing because I was, had just turned 19 and I'm like, you know, I'm a teenager and this kid was like a child, right? He's a kid. And I couldn't, you know, fathom putting myself in his parents' shoes where they had just lost their son. But like, fortunately for me, I was able to like, you know, get the gift from, from their son. And he definitely donated to a lot of people. But I later learned that through the social worker where she was like, Hey, this is a, the situation. This is kind of where you got your transplant from. Um, you know, and then luckily you're given the opportunity to write a letter to the family, you know, giving your gratitude and, you know, possibly having communication with them. So I've done that twice now. And it's been nice to know that um, I have an avenue of sharing my gratitude to that family for the life I've been given because I've had my transplant now for almost 11 years, which is mind blowing. <laughs> um so yeah, that's kind of what the process was with getting the transplant. And the crazy part is being on the transplant list, you have no idea where you're at. Like you have no clue. You could be in the top 10, you could be in the top hundred. You have no clue where you're at. They just call you when they, they call you. And it's like, make sure your phone is, your ringer's on, on your phone, because you just never know when you're going to get called. Um, the fortunate part was when I first met with UCLA to kind of do the whole uh, breakdown and do an analysis of my um, kidney to uh, get enrolled into their program and get put on the list. I was a, t- a teenager. So I was with the children's team. When I got my transplant, technically I was supposed to be a part of the adult team because they push you out after the age of 18. But like somehow the universe is conspiring because they considered me as a child. And that's how I got the transplant because although I did turn 19, I had been on the list since I was, you know, a teenager. So since I was 15, so essentially they kind of made the exception and I was given the transplant. Cause if I would have been any older, like, I don't know when I would have honestly gotten the transplant. So there was a lot of universal, cons- you know, conspiring going on with me getting my transplant, but um, yeah, I've had it for 11 years, I did a biopsy once when I first got the transplant for them to test how good the function was. And then I recently got another biopsy done in October because um, my kidney function was changing significantly over a six month period of time, which was kind of concerning. 
And so I suggested it to them. And then finally they decided, hey, okay, we'll go forward with the biopsy to see what's going on, if there's any rejection or anything like that. But essentially what they found out was there isn't any rejection, but there is some scarring and then scarring can potentially um, deteriorate some of the function of the transplant itself. Yeah. That has been quite a journey then and, you know, it must have been very comforting for the family of that child whose kidney you were gifted to know that it's working and the difference that it made to your life. And I'm sure it's very comforting um, and reassuring and to you to be able to express your gratitude in that way. So on a physical level, what difference did having a kidney transplant make to your life? That's a wonderful question. Um, yeah, so I, I know it made a huge difference. And I hope, you know, till this day with writing the letters and knowing that the family donated their son's organs that like, they have been able to heal, um, hearing from me and other people who've received, um, luckily, you know, the second chance at life, um, that it supported the family in their process. As far as physically, um, it's interesting because a lot of doctors and medical professionals say like, oh, you'll notice a huge difference physically. But I had always been, uh, you know, physically active, always active in sports. And um, for me, I didn't really notice a huge difference physically with, you know, energy levels and things like that. But I think it made a huge difference for me mentally, emotionally. Um, I felt more like like myself, how I was before with just wanting to be more social, wanting to be more active, I felt freer in that sense. And I felt um, like I had a lot more freedoms and possibilities for me, especially with wanting to, um, you know, attend college and wanting to, you know, travel and study abroad and just like, be able to participate in different events where I felt that being on dialysis would have been a little different. Like I still would have been able to do those things, but I would have to adjust with how I was getting my treatments, but being on, you know, immunosuppressants was a lot easier to travel and just move around with just having to, you know, take my medication. Um, so for me, that felt more of a sense of like myself, how it was before. And I think that's what a lot of people experience with having a transplant. Yes. You're on immunosuppressants and that's a big part of your life. However, with, you know, not having to travel around with the machine or not having to worry about, you know, where you're going to get your treatments from and stuff like that, that there was a lot more flexibility and freedom that I felt more of how I lived before, um, just having a lot more freedom and freedom. I mean, like more physically than anything else, just moving around more freely and not having to be so concerned about, you know, having a hospital nearby and having you know, a treatment, you know, plan uh, set for the week that I had to attend to. Um, so it, it was more of the emotional and physical aspect of it. And I think since then, um, I know a lot of things would be possible for me um, with dialysis, but with having the transplant, like I've able to you know, go camping, maybe that wasn't be possible for me, right? Because talking about hygiene, you know, if you're having a catheter, you have to be very careful. Uh, talking about, you know, running, you know, I've run half marathons and things like that. And I think that's kind of supported with having a transplant. Uh, so 
it, it gave me a lot more function as well. Right. And having the tra- kidney function is a big thing because having the kidney function just means that there is uh, less toxins in your body and your body functions a little better uh, versus having to deal with uh, a lower function kidney slightly lower than whatever I have now. And then having to uh, like those things kind of flow down your body a little bit and then kind of brings down your energy as well. So it it gave me that kind of boost, you can say. Um, And essentially since I've had it, yes, I've had, um, you know, my own bouts of having, you know, fatigue and different things like that. And I think that just kind of happens with having kidney disease, but I have had less hospitalizations than I've had before. (laughs) So that makes a difference. Um, It's a lot less having to go into the hospital. So it's, it's nicer in that way, you can say. So as someone who you've had your kidney for 11 years, I believe you said. Yeah. So as someone who's had a kidney for 11 years, what advice would you give to somebody who's just starting out, just going through that process of having a transplant, getting the information, considering their options. What advice would you like to give to that person? Yeah, so, and that's a great question. Um, I would definitely say stay connected with your team, ask questions. I feel like a lot of times people go into a lot of these appointments, which are huge appointments, but like, they don't feel comfortable asking questions. They don't feel comfortable um, really wanting to, you know, retain all that information, I think, because it kind of goes above our head, right? Because it's a lot of information to take in all at once, where we feel like, okay, well, I'm going to go home, and then maybe I'll read up on it, or like, I'll, I'll process it. But like, it's hard to get FaceTime with, with doctors. And so I would say, when you're having these conversations, and you have these appointments set up, you know, do, do a little bit of research, uh, write out some questions. I know when I had my appointment, I brought my family along and they suggested it. And I think it was because since I was younger, they also wanted my family to be informed because they were a part of the process and like, they're my support that they also understood what I was dealing with and what was available to me. Uh, so bring people along with you that are supportive, that can also like support you on your journey. So you don't feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Uh, and then you don't have to explain to everybody what's being talked about. Um, I would also say in my appointment, for example, they mentioned live donors, they've mentioned deceased donors. Um, and so if you do have a live donor, that's something that you can kind of bring to their attention because they will bring it up. But if you have a live donor, that makes your, your processing time a little shorter. Um, they'll test them and everything like that. But if there's someone available, it's a lot quicker if you're matched versus waiting on a deceased donor because a deceased donor essentially will go on the list and then you'll kind of wait your time and your turn. Um, and I would also recommend um, talking to your social worker, whoever they connect you with and getting their information because yes, I didn't know where I was on the list, but I think it's good to maybe ask and see where you're on the list. So, you know, for your mental health, like where you stand and, um, get them to, you know, see like what options are available to you. If, you know, there's a lot more transplanting options now than there were before when I got transplanted. Um, and that's something you can talk to the doctor about, but 
I know they do um, like, I believe they do like kidney transplants along with like other transplants simultaneously if you have like diabetes and there's a lot more options available. So you can suggest to them and see, hey, what is available to me versus the, the traditional way of, hey, a kidney transplant, you're on the list. If you don't have a living donor, if you do have a living donor, let's match them and let's um, get you set up for surgery. But there's a lot more options now of how kidneys can be transplanted along with other uh, procedures. So I would talk to your doctor and see like, hey, the, if you don't have any other, you know, underlying health conditions, or if you do, you know, what are my options based on each category? And um, there are those typical host- hospitals that are known for transplantations. But I would also say if you feel like you want to go to a different city and maybe suggest to go to a different city to get um, the workup with a different hospital, if you feel like your time will be shorter there, then weigh those options. Think about that. Because um, I feel like a lot of times people just want to go to the big hospitals because they're known, right? But like, there are a lot more other hospitals that do the same amount of work and that are also skilled. Um, but we're just not really aware of them because they're not brought to our attention. So if you know kind of the research of different um, hospitals in your area and kind of just having conversations of, okay, do they have a transplant team? Are they doing surgeries? Um, maybe I can get on their list because you feel like maybe you'll get more of a personal connection with them versus a bigger hospital. Um, there's so many options for you and you can definitely weigh those out. But like, it's a lot of information. So the more people you have on your team, the better. The support is definitely helpful. And then asking questions is the biggest thing, asking as much as you can. Thank you. That is really, really good advice. Now, I know that you are very active within the kidney community. And for anybody that is out there that wants to find out about what you're doing, get involved and know that you've written a book, So what is your information so that people can connect with you online? Yeah, definitely. I would love to hear from you guys. Um, So my Instagram handle is at antidote health. And that's just different tips um, on, you know, dealing with kidney disease information to support you with and as well as uh, resources. Uh, My personal handle is it's Hedel M. Patel. (laughs) That's my full name. And then the website is antidotehealth.io. If you go on my Instagram handles, you know, you'll get linked straight to the website. But yes, I have also information about my book, you know, talking about my journey with kidney disease and diagnosis. And that's antidote my commitment to thrive with kidney disease. And that's just me sharing my experience and supporting people and recognizing that we do have similarities in our journey. And you're not alone. So you know, it's all about shifting and mindset and supporting yourself and learning how to, um, you know, live and thrive with having a long-term illness. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, And thank you so much for sharing your story and for that powerful, powerful advice that you shared. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dee. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend.
New episodes of this podcast are released every Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.